This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 53 of the SuperAge podcast. This will be dropping on September the 29th, 2021. Great to have you with us today. Uh, there's lots, so many things going on in Aegis SuperAge world. So, you know, as I mentioned last week, we get a lot of stuff sent to us about what's happening in the world of wellness and health and med tech. And we're doing a roundup that we're keeping permanently on the Aegist site of the things that we receive every day, every week, that we think are valid and worth knowing about. So that'll become searchable. Um, so if there are things that you're interested in, there's some specific disease or condition or interesting therapies that you're, you want to investigate, that'll be a good resource. So that's going to go up on the site tomorrow, and we'll be adding to that as we go forward. Also, as I mentioned on the show last week, I'm going to be doing a small group of select people for essentially a, a health longevity mastermind class. Um, it'll be a seminar. It's going to go on for probably six weeks, and we're going to start putting together information on that right away. So why are we doing this? The reason we're doing it is because you know over the last six years, I've had access to the really the, the leading science folks out there. And um, I know the stuff that seems to be working and the stuff that's not working. Um, and I'm going to be sharing that with everyone. So that'll be coming out. We'll have an announcement on that probably, um, hopefully by next week, we'll have a page up on that. And we'll be looking to start that early October. If you want me to send you information directly on that, hit me up, david at superage.com, and we'll make sure you get on the list. This week on the show, we have Dr. Kian Vu. And Kian wrote a book recently called Thrive State, where he talks about the bioenergetic model of the body. And what this means is, how do we get our epigenome to best express the underlying DNA? And there's some really simple things we can do about that. And then when we, after we get through talking about what he says are the 80% of things that are sort of the, the big rocks, the um, fill the hole in the boat sort of things we can do. Um, we're going to have a discussion about some of the more esoteric, out on the edge of the curve sort of things that people are doing. Um, super nice guy and incredibly good at explaining things. We're going to get to Dr. Vu in just a second after this quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Now, all of you know that I like to track things, right? I like to weigh myself, I like to know how much I sleep. But what's the most important thing I track? It is my internal biomarkers, which let me know what is the state of my internal health, my wellness, what are my projections going forward to live a healthy, long life. Um, and Inside Tracker calls this my inner age. The platform, as it sits on my phone, I can look at what my biomarkers are and how they've changed over time. Um, and I've become really familiar with a lot of the language around these, and LDL and HDL and you know, hormone levels. It, it's a really wonderful thing to feel that you have some sense of what's going on in your body and what you can do about it, which is the great thing about Inside Tracker. So if there's something where your biomarker is not optimized, they give you really simple, easy, food-based suggestions about how to improve whatever that marker is. Now, in my own case, I reduced my LDL by 17% in a course of just a few months. Um, and it wasn't that bad to begin with, um, but it was just through their suggestions. I think it's a great thing, and I think it's there's some there's a lot of value about just having in your phone your biomarkers, so that you're you know you have a relationship with these things. You have a relationship with the internal workings of your body. Go to insidetracker.com/ages, save twenty five percent on all their products. Hey, Ken, how are you today? I am doing beautiful. I want to just thank you. Uh, I had to move things around my schedule. You were so accommodating. So I appreciate that, David. Sure, Ken. No worries. Great to have you here today. 
Hey, so let's talk a little bit about um, aging and and your work. Yeah, um, sure. And tell me a little bit about you know what you're doing in your practice and and um, just a little bit about the field of aging, the way, the way you're looking at it. Oh yeah, great question. Well, I mean, for some people that don't know, you know, my roots was I, I was actually trained as an interventional radiologist initially. You know, radiology is for people who uses X-ray machines, CT scans, ultrasounds. Um, to pierce inside the body uh, and, and, and give you a diagnosis with medical imaging. And as an interventional radiologist, I use those procedures to basically, or use that technology to do minimally invasive surgeries and procedures. So I saw the breadth of all disease, you know, end-stage diabetes, cancer, you know, um, atherosclerosis and hardened arteries. And, and I treated all of them, but about five years ago, I was overweight. I was diabetic. I was hypertensive and I was also taking prescription medications. And I realized at that time, I didn't really have the tools or we didn't learn in medical school what it was to really be well. And mm-hmm. I had to do a very deep dive and say, okay, am I going to accept living the, you know, living life the way I used to live it and accept my diet? diagnosis. And because I had treated so many people with end-stage disease, I knew what my fate was going to be if things didn't change radically. Mm. And um, I basically took you know, a step away from full-time interventional radiology, and I dove into nutrition, integrative medicine, functional medicine, anti-aging and regenerative medicine, plant medicine, spirituality. And you know, boy, did I learn so much. And I really realized that at, at that time that I didn't really live my life um, that was supporting what my DNA needed for me to be at my very best health. And when I started to understand that, when I started to understand that our DNA, you know, is almost kind of like the Rosetta Stone for how we should live our lives. You know, if we, if we follow what our DNA hints us to do, to maintain telomeres, to not turn on stress sequences, and we'll talk about this in a second, we can actually give ourselves the signals to thrive and to live a long time. And when I figured that out and started to make those lifestyle changes, I was able to reverse my conditions in six months. You know, people didn't know that you could reverse diabetes or high blood pressure. They thought that it was going to just get worse over time. It does get worse if you don't do anything about it. It does get worse if, you know, if there is a root cause that is lingering in your body that you're not aware of. And and if you don't make that change, yes, things will get worse. And when I was able to reverse all those things in a very short period of time, I started to recognize that in conventional medicine, we have limitations as to what we can, what, how we're taught to how to approach people and their lives. Um, We don't understand that as human beings, we are kind of almost designed to do, you know, certain things we have, we, we are designed to thrive. We are designed to give back to our community. We are designed to really show up as who we are as people. But I think, you know, modern life has sort of hypnotized us. Modern life has said, you know, you need to, you know, um, you, you need to make a living. You need to work hard. And maybe people find themselves in jobs that they don't like. They, they find themselves stressed out. And that's not how human beings are, are meant to live. Um, that turns on stress hormones in your body. And when I started to figure all these things out, I realized so much of chronic disease is happening because people just aren't awake to, to who, who they are as a human being. And when I started to reverse my own symptoms and, and went into um, performance and longevity medicine, I was like, I'm starting to feel a lot better. I have more energy. And I look at basically all my markers I was, was once diabetic. I reversed all these things. And when I started to look at my epigenetic clocks, I've also, you know, decreased in, in biological age. And so that's how I got into the performance and longevity space. And when I look, you know, into my practice now, um, how I work with people is I, you know, we can go into my book a little bit, but basically there are seven major lifestyle things that determine the energy that we give ourselves, you know, and we've mastered these seven lifestyle things. We're giving ourselves the exact cues that it needs to flourish. When we don't give ourselves these seven things, our cells will think that we're, we are in, 
in, in a stress state. And what happens when we're in a stress state? It's going to think that a saber-toothed tiger is standing right next to you. It's going to raise inflammation. It's going to lower our immune system. And that over time is going to create chronic symptoms and chronic disease. And, um, you know, I really look to help people maximize those lifestyle factors, get them aligned to the life that they're meant to live. That's number one. The next thing is we do, we then do a deep dive into their labs to see what they're missing. Are their hormones really low? Are they, are, are they missing key nutrients in their lives and replace the things that, that they're missing? And then finally, you know, there, there's a lot of things in the, um, in the anti-aging world now that's really on the fringe. We don't have a lot of data on it yet in, in, in randomized clinical trials, but but, you know, data in the Petri dish and data in animals are looking great. And there are people that are in the really the edge of the anti-aging space, like David Sinclair, like Peter Atia, who are using themselves as guinea pigs for these medications. And they seem to be, you know, they seem to be doing very well. I'm trying some of those medications out myself, but uh, that's, that's sort of my approach to, to longevity and aging and performance. So let's, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Steve Horvath's test. Yeah, um, his epigenetic test. Um, what, what? Before we get into that, tell me what what do you see as the the markers that you look for? Like, how do you define aging? Oh, great question. Well, I think overall, aging is is basically our ability for our cells to be able to take on. Uh, what well, what happens with aging is over time, our cells get a lot of damage, environmental damage, over time, and. And our, and our cell loses the ability to repair itself. And when it loses the ability to repair itself, there is a lot of additional toxins that start to build up in our body. And that's going to decrease basically how our cells function. And when our cells can't repair themselves, they, don't start, they start to function less, they start to basically lose you know, their, their function as cells. And, and we as the organism, when our cells are suboptimal, we start to, we start to suffer our systems start to shut down. And that's basically what, what, what aging is, is, is a, you know, a slowing down of cellular function leading to cellular senescence, which means your cells just don't function very well. And your cells don't function very well. Your systems don't function. And guess what? When your nervous system doesn't function very well, that's Alzheimer's that's, you know, strokes when your immune system isn't function very, very well. That's when you get cancers. That's when you get autoimmune disease. When your cardiovascular system isn't functioning well, that's when you get heart failure or atherosclerosis or heart attacks. So that's basically, you know, um, what aging is, you know, our cells, uh, when given the right cues really will, will thrive. And when you've got optimal functioning cells, we have optimal health, we have longevity and we have peak performance. When our cells start to lose that function, and basically our cells work in a community and we all, you know, we need our heart cell to be pumping at, at its optimum for, for us to have a good cardiovascular system to deliver the nutrients all throughout the body. And we need our lung cells to function at, at its optimum to extract oxygen to, so that that oxygen can go to all the cells in the body. But imagine those cells suboptimally functioning. All of a sudden you're, you're taking away, you know, a, you're taking away nutrients um, that are in the system. And once those systems start to crash, that's when you get diseases. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of questions there. Uh, so is there a test where you can say, you mentioned Steve Horvath's um, methylation clock. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, what were you, um, where were you um, when you were in your more, you know, not functioning so well? And yeah. then where did you move to? Yeah. So great question. Well, the, the, okay. So uh, we've got different tests that measure the biological age, right? We used to think that telomeres was, was the hottest thing and telomere attrition. And what are telomeres? Telomeres are basically these base pairs at the end of the DNA that protect your DNA from, from being degraded every time a cell divides. So the longer telomeres that you have, the healthier or longer your, your, your cells would live. And that used to be one marker of, um, of, uh, of, of determining longevity. Uh, it's, it's a rough marker, but that's one marker. Then we have, you know, Steve Horvath's um, epigenetic clocks. And what happens there is over time, as we age, when we are exposed to different things in the environment, uh, we start to get these tags in our DNA. We call them met methyl tags in our DNA. And what that, 
will do is it will silence off some genes. And if you take a look at the methyl tags in certain parts of the DNA, you can estimate somebody's biological age. And so uh, that's a relatively new test. I remember, you know, getting that test done. I think it was just like a year and a half ago. I never did it when I was a diabetic because I didn't know about that test at the time. But I know when I first uh, uh, did it probably about a year and a half ago, I'm 43 now. It read I was 37. And then I did it again pretty recently. And I am like, you know, probably 30 uh, or, you know, high 29s or whatever, around 30 now. So, so I'm actually, you know, I'm actually aging backwards, so to speak. Yeah, right on. I did the uh, Elysium Health has a version uh, called mm-hmm. Index. And I think mine was... I'm 62 and I, uh, uh, measured out at 56. So I'm I'm aging at like 0.83 or something. And you seem to have a negative number. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so, uh, this, um, what, as you're talking about optimizing, um, your epigenome, so as to best express your DNA, what, you know, you've, you've, why don't you run through some of the things that you write about in your book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our, our DNA really tells us how we should be living our lives, right? Um, when we have, when we're looking at our telomeres, again, these telomeres um, protect our, our DNA from, from aging. And if you read Elizabeth Blackburn's book, there are many lifestyle factors that lead to protecting um, your, your, your DNA from, or your telomeres from being degraded. That's having good sleep, having good nutrition, moving all the time, having a sense of purpose, um, fostering good relationships. All that stuff is great. Okay. So I listed all those things when I was doing research on the book as to what maintains telomeres. Then again, I mentioned this, um, this gene sequence in our DNA called the conserve transcriptional response to adversity. And basically, it's a set of 53 genes that get turned on when, when your cell senses stress. And basically, these 53 genes turn on, inflammation goes up, you know, and then your cellular immunity goes down uh, when, when this gene sequence turns on. Well, why is that the case? Well, whenever there might be stress, like a saber-tooth tiger running after you, um, just to protect you from that flesh wound, uh, inflammation is going to go up because if you happen to be bitten, cells need to, you know, get there to work acutely on that inflammation. And, you know, why expend energy on fighting against infection and cancer with your immune system, if you're about to be lunch for a saber tooth tiger. So that's what our body does to protect us against stress. Well, guess what? This conserved transcriptional response to adversity. When does that turn on? When you're not getting good sleep, when you're not eating well, you know, when you don't have a sense of purpose, all this stuff, that work is being done by my colleague over at UCLA, Stephen Cole, and also I forget where she's from, but Barbara Fredrickson has done a lot of this work with this gene uh, sequence called the conserved transcriptional response to adversity. And now with the newer tests coming out, this, this Horvath methylation test, we're starting to also see, you know, what happens with biological age? Well, if you start to eat well, when you sleep well, when you're doing all these things, you're all, you also start to age backwards or you at least, you know, protect yourselves from aging. And then when you start to look at disease also, you know, how do you fix depression? Well, you sleep better, you move, you eat better, you're starting to do all these things. So I started to map all these things out. So our DNA is actually telling us how we should be living. And when I mapped out, basically, first of all, our DNA is constantly you know, responding to its external environment, basically every energetic cue, whether it be light, whether it be sound, whether it be thought, whether it be motion, all these things are energetic cues that gets translated into biomolecular changes that then speak to our DNA. But to remember every single energy and how it gets converted, you know, into our gene doesn't help anybody. So when I did the research in terms of what affects our epigenome, what what affects this conserved transcriptional response to adversity, and, and how do we start getting chronic disease? There were these seven things. If you master these seven things, you basically are 80% in charge of your epigenome. And what are those seven things? They are sleep, nutrition, movement, stress and emotional mastery, our mindset and thoughts, relationships, and purpose. 
These are these seven things that if you can master them, you're really going to have control of your epigenome. It's almost like the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule. There are things that you're not going to be able to control, like potentially, you know, the, the toxins that you come, you know, you come in contact with, or maybe some allergens or some infections, things like that. That's the other maybe 10-15%. But think about it: 80% of your epigenome is things that you can control on a conscious basis. This is this bioenergetic state I'm talking about. By living your life a certain way, by optimizing these seven things, you create the epigenome or the bioenergetic state or the energetic environment we give to our cells. And those cells, basically, our DNA is constantly listening to that environment. And this is the beauty of epigenetics. The beauty of epigenetics says that our DNA or who we become, our longevity, our ability to perform doesn't come from mom and dad. It doesn't come from the DNA only, but actually how our DNA is being expressed. And what tells our DNA how to be expressed is this energetic environment that we give to ourselves by our conscious choices. So, so I got to ask you, like yeah. the first, the first six make total sense to me, yeah. right? Movement, food, sleep, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. How does, how does having a sense of purpose affect your epigenome and the expression of the DNA? Help, help me out on that. That's yeah. It's, it's a, it's a wild thing, right? That is that is almost sort of biblical that right. the sense of purpose is, is, is like when you could tap into your sense of purpose, you're, you know, you are basically, you're gifted with, with, with better health and longevity. And so what's the data behind that? Well, a lot of this is actually done from the work of Stephen Cole and Barbara Fredrickson. And, and the, the, the term that they use instead of purpose is a concept called eudaimonic well-being. Right. And that, and that's the well-being or the happiness you feel when you feel like you're a part of something greater or something bigger, right? And um, and and it just goes to show they've done these the they've they've got these um you know uh, standardized surveys where they tested you know the amount of eudaimonic you know well-being somebody had and people who tested high meaning high levels of eudaimonic well-being they found the following. They turned off that stress response gene sequence I was talking about. People with it with, with eudaimonic well-being on average live seven years longer than somebody that, that does not. Those people that have a strong sense of purpose have lower risk of getting cardiovascular disease. If you happen to be in a hospital, but you have a strong sense of purpose, you spend fewer days in the hospital. So why is that the case? You know, there's a lot of speculation as to. You know, there, there's a lot of theories as, as to why that is the case. Well, first of all, when we, when we look at how multicellular life evolved, you know, when we used to just be one cell organisms, like we had to be able to say, you know, when it encountered a different cell that was different from it, hey, you know what, we could work together and be better together. You know, and I'll just do my thing, you know, and guess what? You know, maybe my thing is pumping blood and guess what? Maybe my thing is extracting oxygen for you. So as we started to build multicellular life, we each needed to do its own individual thing, but contribute to the community as a whole. That's how multicellular life evolved. And when you are just thinking for yourself and not for the community and you just live for yourself. Well, guess what happens if a cell decides it's going to live for a cell? It doesn't want to live its purpose. For example, if a cell decides, let's just say a lung cell decides, okay, you know what? I'm not going to extract oxygen anymore. I want to do something different. I want to be like a kidney cell and filter blood. Well, a cell changing its function over time, it's called metaplasia or dysplasia. A cell that will decide it doesn't want to do its own thing and live for itself and just grow for itself. What is that called, my friend? cancer. So built into our DNA is basically the need for us to serve beyond ourself. And if, if we could start to understand that, that we're not living for us, we, we're living in terms of we, our DNA is telling us that we would be gifted if we can start to give back, if we could see ourselves as basically, you know, individual cells as, as a larger humanity and if we really want to move humanity forward, it's really about serving rather than, you know, living for ourselves. That's pretty wild, isn't it? You've just explained something to me that I, um, 
So a couple of things. Uh, yeah. I, I once interviewed uh, Dr. Connie Mariano, who was mm-hmm. director for White House Medical under mm-hmm. um, Bush and Clinton. Her area of expertise is ex-presidents. Mm-hmm. And they live forever. Uh, and she said, like, isn't this so interesting? They have this, you know, very stressful job. But th- when you leave the presidency, it's not like you just like, you know, I don't know, you just you don't retire. You just, you know, you a tremendous amount of um, demands on you and you have a great sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how the sense of purpose, for reasons that she didn't really understand, seemed to overwhelm stress. I've always thought, you know, when people come to me, Ken, and they're like, you know, what should I do? I got a career problem. I'm not sure what to do. And I just say, like, think about how you can best help people. Yeah. And then, and then it just goes away, like you found your purpose. And, but you've just... This is so interesting. You just put like a biological frame on the thing that I that I didn't know that that, I, that this it. is the amazing thing that that our you know that understanding our genetics, understanding our DNA, gives us a, a clue as as a hint as who we're meant to be as people. Um, you know, they have great studies in people in Okinawa that that you know why why they live so long, and part of part of it is they attribute that they've got a deep sense of community and a deep sense of purpose as they age. That's huge. Um, And a lot of people, you know, I'll I'll mention this, this is a little off target, but there's a part of our brain called the default mode network. The default mode network is a part of our brain that basically functions when we're not focused on any given tasks. So the default mode network is on when you're basically kind of doing nothing. And basically what it is, is, you know, Everything that we, everything that we remunerate, all these thoughts in our head, all these things that go on, that's really the seat of our ego. And when that thing is on for a long time, it seems to be correlated with depression. When that thing is on for a long time, it seems to be correlated with more stressful or inflammatory states. So here's the thing. When we are worried about ourselves, that's when we get stressed. When you're focused mm-hmm. on you, that's when you that's get right. That's so right. When you can shift the focus on just giving, yep. that part of surviving disappears. Because when you when you're worried about you, you're worried about survival. Guess what happens when you're worried about survival? Guess guess what gene sequence gets turned on when you're worried about survival? That CTRA CTRA a gene sequence. Again, what happens then? Inflammation goes up, immunity goes down. So when you could take the focus off of yourself, start to, to think about somebody else, think about serving somebody else, you're not in that survival mode. Um, and then you're, you're in that giving or expansive mode. This, right. is, this is the most beautiful thing I find about you know, longevity science because it tells us as, as a human race, um, you, you know, who we need to be um, you know, so that we could end up living longer, but also so that we could share our gifts with humanity. Um. So I want to move. Um, th- th- this is fascinating, by the way. I've yeah. just I've never heard this articulated that way. Is how we grew from cells that needed to cooperate. Therefore, we are a cooperative species. Yeah, um, yeah. that's brilliant. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about. So it, this is like the eighty percent, and yeah. you know all the stuff that you're talking about here is basically anyone can do. Yes, um, it's, absolutely. Uh, there's not a lot of cost associated with sleeping more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so let's, let, uh, let's talk about the sort of the next step, the further optimization. Right. So you, you, you'd mentioned a lot of, you know, you do a, a lot of tests and you help yeah. people to become sort of, I guess, biologically the best version of themselves. Is that right? Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. I always yeah. say biologically the best version of themselves. So basically there, there is a anti-aging and longevity movement that that's happening. And so there's different societies that are out there age, you might hear it as anti-aging. You might hear it as age management. Um, you might hear it as longevity medicine. And, um, you know, part of, you know, and so I did a fe- an additional fellowship in anti-aging and regenerative medicine. So um, a lot of this approach uh, to medicine also is, you know, over time as we age, we yes, we happen to be exposed to toxins. Yes, we're, you know, and, and a lot of insult to injury. And there's certain things that we that would just decline, you know, as we age, you know, certainly here's, here, here's the thing to know though, all those lifestyle things that we do for free, you need those things optimized because if not, you, you will lose uh, your, your nutrients even more. For example, if you don't sleep very well, or if you don't exercise, your testosterone levels are going to plummet regardless of, 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 of age, 
much, much faster. So you need those things optimized because if not, you've basically got a hole in your boat. But as we age, we tend to lose growth hormone. We tend to lose, um, we tend to lose testosterone. Uh, as men, as early as the age of 30, for women, you know, in menopause, they'll start to lose estrogen, they'll start to lose progesterone. And the loss of those key functional hormones um, will make us not feel as well. It might, might give us brain fog. It might uh, bring low energy, low libido, low motivation. And so uh, part of, you know, basically the next step other than lifestyle is to take a, you know, a look, a complete look at your labs, maybe take a look at your micronutrients. What are you low or, or, or missing? There are things that are probably good for age. And then there are things that are optimal. And the mm. people in the longevity and the anti-aging space thinks that there, there, there are certain numbers that should be optimized. Yes, maybe a testosterone level of 500 for a, a man 50 to 60 is okay for normal, but the people in the anti-aging and longevity space says, no, you, those levels should really be, you know, when, when you were like when you were 25, because do you want to feel like a 50 year old or do, do you want to feel like a 25 year old? And there's a lot of data that basically suggests that if you start to optimize these hormones, you basically, you know, save yourself from a lot of age related diseases. So if you start to optimize people's hormones, you'll find that their, their insulin sensitivity improves, their, their weight goes down. They're certainly, you know, less symptomatic, you know, their brain fog clears, they, they, they've got better lean, lean muscle. So that's basically the next step is to optimize all those things. And, you know, that would, you know, that, that might look like hormone optimization that might look like supplementation for, for the micronutrients that you're missing. Um, and then there are also uh, people that, you know, work with small molecules called peptides. What's, what's a peptide? So basically a peptide is just a small protein fragment um, is, is, is a peptide. And basically proteins basically run our body, right? You know, every, every function that happens in our body happens, you know, basically with different proteins and insulin is a peptide, for example. So insulin regulates blood sugar control. When insulin's on, it helps glucose enter the cell. So insulin's a peptide. So there are basically there synthetic peptides that look very much like the same type of protein molecules that are in our body that serve different type of functions. There are some peptides that basically help with the immune system. You know, some you know thymosin alpha one, uh, thymosin beta four are, are are examples of that. Then you've got peptides called BPC one fifty seven, which is normally produced that mimics um, a, a naturally occurring protein that is in the gut, and that basically helps inflammatory states. So it's a great healing peptide. So there's several different peptides that you use for for different things. Um, you know, sexual function PT one forty one is a peptide that, that that's used. That you know, it, it almost you know people love this peptide because you know for for, for men that I know that, um, you know, Viagra is not working for them or for women who's got hyperarousal disorder, this one peptide really seems to, to step in and, and works wonders for people. So peptides is, 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 is another uh, form of, of medicine being used these days in, in the longevity and anti-aging space. How do you, is there a test for um, not having enough of any of these peptides? How do, how do you diagnose? Yeah, for, uh, so there is no necessary, there, there's no actual test, meaning, okay, you're low in this peptide. There's mm -hmm. nothing like that, but there's surrogates for that. For example, there is one peptide that I use uh, for people uh, called CJC1295. And what, what that is, is a peptide that works on the pituitary to, to have your body stimulate um, more growth hormone. Now, there, there is basically no lab marker that, that, that measures the peptide itself, but there is a lab marker that's a correlate for growth hormone, for example. So IGF-1 is, what happens is when growth hormone gets secreted by the pituitary, it goes down to the liver, and then the liver you know, spills out IGF-1. So you can measure IGF-1 as a correlate for growth hormone. So when those levels are low, you know, and everyone's growth, you know, growth hormone levels are going to decrease over time, um, that's something that you can monitor to see the effect of, of, of the, of the peptide working. So that's one example. Uh, uh, interesting. 
So um, I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with peptides here. So, so you're going to help me out. Oh, we if, could do a whole different podcast <laughs> on peptides or, or I, I could have other docs talk to you about peptides as well. It, it's a, it's a fascinating field. So if you're, if you're giving someone um, a peptide that stimulates the pituitary gland to secrete more human growth hormone, mm-hmm. is there, um, you know, HGH has some downsides to it. Yeah. Um, is there a level like do you overstimulate or if you, if you pull back on the peptide, will then the, the HGH level crash because um, you're no longer stimulating the gland? Yeah. Great, great question. So, you know, great question. Too much growth hormone has its disadvantages. It can cause, you know, joint pains or arthralgias. It can cause uh, diabetes. It can cause basically edema, you know, and swelling. So that's when, what happens when you have too much growth hormone. Um, also, if you give people exogenous growth hormone, um, you could potentially shut down your own pituitary. Right. You know, but some people do it. And, you know, I mean, we've got people like Sylvester Stallone who are very open about taking growth hormone. Um, peptides seem to, you know, be a lot more gentle, uh, to the body because it doesn't shut down your pituitary. What it does is it'll stimulate your pituitary to secrete a little bit more growth hormone. And, um, all the, all those symptoms that you'll have with excess growth hormone exogenously, um, doesn't seem to happen with the peptides. Well, that's so interesting. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of the other things you're doing, um, uh, you know, like with sirtuins. Um, okay. Yeah. Great. So, um, you know, we, we've talked about basically the different levels and the different approaches to, um, to longevity. The first approach is the lifestyle approach free right. to everybody. Everybody should, should get on it. Everybody should pick up a copy of my, my book at thrivestaybook.com. I reach for a copy, not <laughs> forgetting that this is not a, a video podcast. We'll put a link in the, a, in the notes. Right. Absolutely. So that's, that's layer number one. Layer number two is basically optimization. And that optimization is basically replacing Again, again, hormones and things like that and using peptides and supplements. Then you've got the, the more fringe, newer things. And they're basically three main targets that are of excitement um, in, the, uh, in the longevity space. And David Sinclair talks about this a lot. They're basically sirtuins, um, this uh, complex called mTOR, and finally the AMPK, um, or AMP kinase, uh, you know, pathway. And these, these seem to be longevity pathways. What are sirtuins? Sirtuins are basically a set of genes that helps with DNA repair. You basically get, you know, bombarded with toxins, radioactivity, and things like that, that can cause DNA damage. And the sirtuins are, are there pretty much to kind of clean things up. And it'll also kind of clean up, you know, epigenetic markers and things like that too. And so they are our marker for aging. Um, so for the sirtuins, what they found, um, well, what turns on the activity of sirtuins? Well, it turns on, or, you know, it, it, um, you know, there's a thing called NAD plus NAD plus is a cofactor. Your mitochondria need it to produce ATP, but it's also a cofactor for the sirtuins and you need NAD basically to make your sirtuins work. So some people, you know, um, it will either take NAD, you know, by IV or subcutaneously, or they'll take NAD precursors such as nicotinamide riboside or NMN, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide. Those are precursors for NAD. And the idea is that help your mitochondria work better by increasing NAD levels, but also work works with your sirtuins as well. What also activates sirtuins? Well, resveratrol found in grapes and red wine is a molecule. Now you'll need to drink maybe 300 glasses of wine to get the, the amount of resveratrol you'll need to turn on your sirtuins. But basically, you know, they're, they're, um, it's a lever that basically helps the, the, the sirtuins work a little bit better is resveratrol. Um, so, so, so sirtuins are basically a target that people are um, uh, using um, to, to increase longevity. So that, that's one target there. Um, guess what? Lifestyle factors that that help um, sirtuin function would be, uh, you know, get a little hungry every now and then. So fasting is, is something that's great for that. And then make sure when you exercise, you know, get a little bit out of breath. 
these two things seem to be hormetic stressors that activate all, all three of these pathways. Uh, let's just, I, I just want to go back to the resveratrol. I, my, my, my understanding is that the bioavailability of mm -hmm. like eating it, mm -hmm. um, it, how do you tell people to take the resveratrol or do you tell people to take resveratrol? Yeah. So, um, you know, I put it in one of my supplements and I just take it orally. David Sinclair says that the oral bioavailability isn't, isn't that great with it. Um, I don't know that, you know, we have currently have a test to, to actually test the, the, the plasma concentration based on how things are absorbed. But what he does is he's got the, the powdered form and he'll, he'll mix it up with yogurt and eat it with his yogurt. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do that. I get the capsules. Yeah. Yeah, And I, sometimes when I'm feeling really ambitious, I'll mix it with olive oil and I eat it. That's not particularly tasty. Yeah. Um, but definitely with, with fat soluble vitamins or anything that's fat soluble, that's a great technique is to use all, you know, take it down with some MCT or olive oil. Right on. Um, let's, and you mentioned um, something else, the mTOR. Um, tell us about yeah, so, mTOR. So mTOR. So, okay. So let, let's back up a little bit uh, because that protein complex mTOR was, was discovered after a drug was discovered. Um, uh, and, and, and you'll know, you know, because of the name, but uh, basically there's a story of, of, of this, this molecule that was basically discovered in the Easter islands. And what is, what was the name of the Easter uh, islands? It's, I think it's rapid, Rapamui or something like that. And so this molecule was, was sort of isolated there and the molecule is called rapamycin. And this molecule was, you know, not really used for a long time, but finally they, they had found that when you treat rapamycin um, with uh, you know, when you started to treat rapamycin with um, with uh, you know, in, in certain cultures, it, it actually caused a decreased immune response. So rapamycin actually became a clinical, uh, you know, became a, a, a clinical drug to actually treat anti-rejection. So if you happen to get an organ transplant and you don't want your immune system to attack that organ, you would give somebody rapamycin. It will de decrease um, your immune system. Later on, it was studied that at lower doses, um, it actually led to um, cells living longer. Hmm. Uh, and they're starting to find out that rapamycin kind of given to dogs with like heart failure has improved their ejection fraction. So the, there's a lot of studies now, you know, being shown that at lower doses, rapamycin actually causes basically the, the organism to be younger. Amazing. And so, th yeah. So this is the work of David Sabatini, I believe. Um, and they're like, okay, well, how is it working? So then, then they basically decided, okay, well, what, what is this drug working on? They finally isolated the protein complex and what they named this protein complex, mammalian target of rapamycin or mTOR. So that's what mTOR is. And it, this, com um, this complex seems to basically be signaling or, or sensing um, it's, it's nutrient sensing. So if you happen to have glucose or in particular protein in your body, you're going to turn on mTOR and mTOR basically is a anabolic um, protein complex. It'll lead to growth over time. And so it'll just lead things to grow. Now imagine that not being controlled, you, th that, that will lead to cancer, right? So um, what, what seems to be suggested that is that if we happen to be nutrient depleted and, and mTOR is not always turned on, what you'll then do is, is M, if mTOR is turned off, it turns on a process called autophagy. And you might've heard of it, right? The, the process of autophagy is recycling all the, you know, all, all, all the proteins that are misfolded and the, basically the junk that's in your body recycles them so that you can now have, you know, build fresh new stuff. So, so if you can inhibit mTOR, you'll have more autophagy and Therefore, the thought is if you can, you know, occasionally inhibit mTORs more, you'll have more autophagy and more autophagy seems to be associated with longevity. And that seems to make sense, right? I mean, if you've got a house and you never throw anything away, your house is just going to be, you know, if you want to look for something in a very, you know, crammed house, you're not going to be able to find it. You know, if you needed to go do something, same, same you know, happens with our cells. Our cells start to build up a bunch of 
proteins and junk protein that it doesn't use. And if you don't recycle them, it's going to lead to decreased cellular function. So if mTOR is always on, if you're just in the building pathway, it's going to lead to um, a, a, a shorter life than if you're actually, actually able to recycle things. And again, lifestyle things that you can do to inhibit mTOR is fast. Um, and then also, you know, uh, get out of breath every now and then. But um, there are people who are on the the fringe and cutting edge of the longevity space. Uh, and I would recommend people listen to Peter Atia and the people that they that he interviews um, on people using rapamycin uh, experimentally to increase their lifespan. What's your feeling on rapamycin? Safe? Yeah, so I would probably say at the doses that are you know being suggested by Peter Atia, it seems to be safe. Uh, he seems to say that the, the the most serious side effect people experience from taking rapamycin uh, would be, you know, um, mouth ulcers or they're called aphthous ulcers. So, um, you know, it, seem, it seems to be safe. We don't have any long-term studies on that, that yet, you know. And, you know, if you're actually going to be studying longevity uh, for people, uh, to really get a double-blind clinical trial to study longevity, you know, I'm not quite sure if people will be around to have the answer for that data. So either, either you're willing to be a guinea pig or, um, or, or, or you don't go that route just yet. And would this be something in the realm of senolytics? Um, similar. So great question. So senolytics. So, so what are senescent cells? So senescent cells are basically cells that have become zombies. Basically they've got enough damage you know, around it that it can't really divide anymore. So it's almost kind of frozen, but, but those cells have probably lost their ability to go through a process called apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. So they're just around, but because it doesn't do anything, it, it's, it's a cell that, that is in danger. In fact, it also will release, you know, inflammatory um, um, signals around saying, hey, I'm in danger this is, this, this is danger going on and it basically increases the inflammatory cascade. So these basically zombie or senescent cells are not good for our body. Um, and so there are new, newer drugs being, you know, uh, uh, targeted to kind of, you know, maybe damp down the senescent response. Um, I'm not an expert in that yet. And uh, the, the mechanism is a little bit different senescent cells versus uh, the mTOR pathway are, are actually two, two different things. Mm. And uh, talk to me about metformin. I know um, my, my uh, friend Nir Barzali is a big fan. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your so, thought on that? So one, I was uh, diabetic. So I take it, I, I you know, I, I take it um, just so that I can maintain that. But, you know, when I found out about the potential anti-aging benefits of metformin too. I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, it's a winner for me. So metformin is a common drug used to treat um, type two diabetes. You know, it helps lower your, your blood sugars and it's actually a drug to, to use to prevent type two diabetes. So, so it's great for that as well. Um, it's a very inexpensive drug and it's been around for a really long time very low side effect profile, you know, most common would just be, you know, maybe a little bit of nausea, but I don't find most people have problems with that. So how does that work? You know, that works on the AMPK pathway, which is the third pathway um, that is one of these heart targets for longevity. So AMPK is basically an uh, energy sensing pathway. So when, when, um, AMP is basically adenosine mononucleotide phosphate, which is basically, you know, you've got ATP, which is our, the energy currency that we all need, you know, to run biological processes. Well, when ATP gets used, it basically breaks down to either ADP or AMP. So when you have AMP, that's suggestive that, okay, you don't have that much ATP around, so you're low in energy. So when you're low in your energy, you basically turn on pathways to help conserve energy. And that seems to have a longevity effect. So if you could activate, you know, the AMPK pathway, you're promoting longevity. So what, again, what are some things you can do? You could fast um, or you can, you know, get yourself a little winded. All, all those things will bring down, you know, the energy in your body um, uh, and turn on this pathway. It turns out also that basically metformin turns on this pathway as well. And so, um, you know, 
certainly anybody with insulin resistance or diabetic or, or you know, should probably go on it. Uh, and if you are somebody who might be considering it for longevity, that's something that David Sinclair takes as well. Yeah, I, I took metformin for a little while. Uh-huh. And um, my, I, you know, I, I do a lot of strength training, which is um, really, you know, sort of calibrated at maximum effort. Right. And, and I found that, you know, um, it fell off. Yep. Uh, that's, that's basically what, um, you know, some of the, the studies have shown is that if you're doing, um, if, 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 if you're doing uh, exercise, it could help it, it could decrease your exercise performance. Now, one study showed that that if you were like a muscle or, or, or a weightlifter, for example, that there was no difference between the metformin group and the placebo group in terms of strength. However, exactly. however, hypertrophy. Yeah. yeah, hypertrophy, meaning, you know, so I mean, look, well, you can't you can't see me now, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not the big muscle builder. I'm not an Ed Milet, but I, I feel pretty comfortable. I don't want to get any bigger than I am. <laughs> So I, I think, you know, if, if you're, if you don't, you know, if you're okay with maybe, you know, not having that cosmetic thing, but, you know, some people anecdotally like yourself says, you know, you take it and, and you're just able not to perform as well. And I think the, 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 you know, some, what some people are doing, if they're doing it for longevity is on their days that they, they know that they're putting in the workout, mm. they're not taking the metformin on those days and, yeah. and, and then taking the metformin on, on the days they're not working out. That's my recollection of what Sinclair does. Yeah. yeah. Um, is he, he pulses it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he doesn't really work out anyway. I mean, you could. No. <laughs> He's like, like my, let me not work on the lifestyle thing. Let, yeah. let me just take the drug and stay. take a lot of drugs. <laughs> that, you know, that, that's a typical American thing, even though he's not from America. It's really, you know, we all want the blue pill, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, um, one of the things that I'm noticing is the difference in how medicine has changed so much in yeah. like the last 20 years. And I have a, like, I have a regular doc that I go to here. Yep. And so, you know, like if I have some problem, I don't know, I break my arm or something or, yeah. and, and I get a regular physical from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like a really different thing than seeing somebody like yourself. Right. Yeah, I got to say that when I was trained conventionally, um, we didn't learn how to actually be healthier to maintain health. In fact, the the rigor of going through an MD training program is so stressful. In fact, it breeds chronic disease because right. you're not sleeping very well. The food in the hospital is crap. When do you have time to exercise? they don't give you any stress reduction techniques while you're going through the process. I mean, you're built and so many of my colleagues actually um yeah, you know, have chronic disease themselves. And we're taught basically when, you know, we're, we're taught basically you have symptoms, you know, and depending on the type of symptoms that you have and the laboratory value you have, we'll label, we'll label that as a disease. And how are we going to treat this is basically pills to treat that. Whereas the underlying thing is you're basically giving your body an epigenome or a bioenergetic state that is low you're basically telling your cells that you're in danger with a low bioenergetic state. And basically when your cells aren't functioning very well, like I said, you basically need all the cells to function optimally for the entire system to work. And when you start to get failure, failure of, of certain cell types, well, all of a sudden, like I said, you know, your, your lung cell doesn't, you know, function very well. Well, guess what? Now there's 75% less oxygen that's in the system. Guess what? Now your kidney cell is not going to have as much oxygen or that nutrient, well, oh my God, it's going to function less too. And all of a sudden you've got more toxins that are in your blood because you're not filtering it out. So it's these things that are happening because of a poor epigenome or low bioenergetic state. And like I said, 80% of that we can control by my mastering of those seven things that I talk about in my book. And that's something that we, we didn't learn in medical school. Um, so I think, you know, uh, it, we're starting to bring in disciplines and we're starting to just understand some, some ancient wisdom as well. All those lifestyle things that we do are in the, are in ancient wisdoms. There are people in these blue zone countries are practicing them. 
But it's also, you know, and, and that's not to rule out advances in medicine altogether, because I think the stuff that, that's happening in the anti-aging space in terms of hormone optimization, in terms of all the work that David Sinclair is doing is in his lab, that's beautiful as well. But I think you, you need somebody to understand all these different things, and that's the approach. But it's it's less the traditional model, or, or I, I don't abide by the traditional model anymore, because there is no control of trying to take take back control of your biology in the traditional model. Uh, whereas, you know, and that's why I wrote my book. My book is suggestive that, you know, yes, we can basically control our gene expression. And that's what the field of epigenetics is all about. Um, and understanding uh, that there are things in our life that we, we can do to control our gene expression, that's great. And also to understand uh, some of these new, really exciting things that are happening at the forefront of the anti-aging space is just re really, really exciting. And I, I'm just curious, do you, are you doing any tests for, um, you know, cancer markers or things like that? I mean, I mean, there's the, the usual uh, prostate test. I don't right. know how effective those are anymore, but, um, right. Yeah. I don't do, um, I don't do a lot of that. I do very standard uh, markers, including the one that you mentioned. I do do CEA, I do PSA um, and things like that. And then if people want, here's the thing when, when you're talking about longevity too, um, things could add up a lot, you know, uh, monetarily in terms of the tests that, that you mm. can do. You know, right. the, you know, genetic tests could be very expensive, telomere tests. So they're, they're a couple hundred dollars each, you know, all of these right. tests. And so- you know, I do work with clients that are able to just, you know, throw the kitchen sink and say, hey, you know, give me everything. Uh, but I think you have to kind of, you know, decide, you know, uh, what you want in terms of, you know, getting the best bang for your buck. The best bang for your buck is picking up a copy of my book and, and, and doing the free <laughs> lifestyle things that, that we talk about. And look, if you've got some expendable, you know, um, you know, some extra spending money and you're willing to try out these experimental things. Um, it, it's a, in a very exciting space, but for those people who are very data-driven, who wants to see long-term data, I just, you know, preface and tell, tell people that we're not there yet, but there is, you know, very exciting, you know, you know, benchtop data and a lot of anecdotal data from, from pioneers in the space like Peter Atia, who are doing self-experiments that uh, are going to lead to uh, what we can probably do pretty soon as, as, as a collective. Well, I think even, I, I don't know Atiyah, but I, I, I know of him and what he does. And I, I think he would, he would be an adherent to what I would say is the big rocks, small rock theory. Mm. And the big rocks being those like seven or eight things, yeah. you, you know, like sleep and exercise, like let's take care of the major stuff first, which, yeah. you know, which you said is like 80% of it. Yeah. And then let's go for the small rocks that, that fill in. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the other thing too. I mean, there's things, for example, like, you know, stem cells or exosomes and things like that. And they, they cost anywhere from, you know, $10,000 plus a treatment. And they really work by, you know, maybe identifying areas that, that, you know, that are, you know, inflamed and to quiet down the inflammation to help with the healing process. But guess what? If you're not working on those seven or eight things, yeah. you're, you're, you've, you've created, you know, a stressful or inflammatory state in your body anything that you throw in that's like $10,000 plus is just going to treat basically, you know, the holes in your boat rather than, you know, maybe that one, you know, one area that you really needed to focus on. So, you know, I don't, I don't prescribe those treatments for any patient who doesn't work on the lifestyle stuff first, because I, I don't want to put somebody through that. Right on. So Ken, um, if somebody wants you to be their doctor, yeah. what do they do? They go to my website and, um, you know, I think under kienvu.com slash vumd, that's V-U-U-M-D, you can just uh, fill out a form to kind of, you know, see if we're a good match. Um, you know, I, one, you know, I, I work with a very select, you know, uh, group of patients and, and certainly I want to know somebody's actually wanting to make, you know, lifestyle changes in addition to the other stuff that, that I prescribe. So it's got to be a good fit. Right on. Um, and, and it's like, you know, and with telemedicine now it's right. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, I basically, you know, work with people across the country. That's wonderful. I love telemedicine. 
Yeah. Who wants, who wants to wait in the doctor's like waiting office all the time? Like exactly. <laughs> what a waste of time. Um, anything else you want to leave us with here, Ken? No, I mean, this is a very, very exciting time uh, uh, for medicine and, and for performance. We are really pushing our, um, our, our, our human potential to the next level. So it's a very exciting time. And for anybody who, who might feel like you've got some symptoms right now or feel like, you know, a little bit of brain fog, I would just like to say that, you know, um, the power to control our genetic expression, the power to take over our biological destiny is really in our hands and you are your best medicine. So I'd like to just leave everybody with that. You are your best medicine. I love that. Take responsibility. <laughs> All right. Great to have you, Kian. Hey, it was great to be on the show. Thanks for joining us on the show today. If you'd like to contact Kian, we're going to leave his contact info in the show notes down below. Uh, and if you liked the show today, please leave us a rating wherever you are listening to this today, at iTunes or Google or wherever. And if you'd like to leave a comment, we'd love those. And my direct email, david at superage.com. Feel free to reach out with whatever kind of questions you may have. Next week, we're going to talk about sound and our brains. I'm really excited about that one. Everyone, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you then. Bye now. Bye now.